This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gospel reading today, for the challenges that are in it, and I pray that you'd help us to listen and to receive from you what you may have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. For any who may be new to Ascension, uh, you may not know, although most of us do know, that we have embarked on an ambitious and exciting restoration and expansion project for our buildings. And some of that work, of course, has been completed. You will have seen it when you came in. The stonework is clean and repointed. You're sitting in the new pews. And uh, the, you can see most of the stained glass window is now back, not quite on that side, but the rest of it, it's all wonderful stuff. And God willing, we are just weeks away from breaking ground for our new parish hall and the creation of a new central welcome area and uh, new restrooms and an outdoor commons area. Well. Two weeks ago, we received the bids through our general contractor from the many, many subcontractors who will potentially do the work that is before us. And the bids that we received came in, well, almost 25% higher than we had expected. And that puts the project significantly over budget. And my heart sank. I wasn't exactly comforted when, a few days later, I turned to see what the lectionary reading appointed for today would be. And I read the words of Jesus, which Kevin just read. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will ridicule him. Okay, well, thank you, Lord. Counting the costs of this very practical multi-million dollar project has been something that I and others have been doing for the last several years. And the past two weeks have been an intense time of counting and analyzing those costs. And with the aids of multiple spreadsheets, and our own in-house, very competent team, as well as our architects, the general contractor. Well, I've called a special vestry meeting for this Tuesday, and I've, I covet your prayers for our church leadership, as together we will count the cost, and together we will seek God's guidance. And so I do ask you to pray for all those who are involved in that. And as I said in the parish email that I wrote to you all on Friday, if you haven't opened it, it should automatically come again today, I think. I'm not sure, but do read it. Um, I do believe that we are getting closer to finding a pathway through this latest challenge. And I'm going to share a lot more about this on Wednesday night, not here from the pulpit. But do come to this town hall meeting, 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening, and uh, hear more. Well, with that said, if what Jesus had to say about counting the cost of a building project made me uncomfortable, then let me tell you that fades into insignificance compared to what Jesus said in the previous verse. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, 
cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Now those are not words that comfort the disturbed. Those are words that disturb the comfortable. And if I got your attention about the building project, that's great, but it's merely an example of the need to count the cost in other ways. And so the substance of our text this morning is much more serious, much more radical than any building project. Jesus' challenge to us this morning is mission critical. It is critical to your life and to mine. And Jesus is talking about the cost of being a Christian. The opening verse of our passage sets the scene. The recipients of this hard teaching from Jesus are the large crowds who were traveling with him. I wonder, why were they there? Perhaps out of curiosity. Maybe they wanted to see another miracle. But whatever the reasons, Jesus delivers these pretty sharp words about the demands and priorities of real discipleship. Can you imagine a politician today saying, a vote for me is a vote for higher taxes, lower wages, oh, and you'll have to give up your car, your home, and everything that you love. Probably not a winning speech. And yet, there are moments in history, in the face of grave challenges, when good leaders tell it exactly how it is my mind immediately goes to Winston Churchill's famous speech in 1940. In the face of the onslaughts of Hitler and Nazi Germany, he said this, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle, and of suffering. Last week I was speaking to a, a young a former US Marine who told me that when he was posted, he knew his life was on the line. He knew he could be killed in the line of duty, and he went willingly. Likewise, following Jesus requires service and sacrifice, a willingness to give up everything for God, family, wealth, comfort, even our very lives. But how are we to make sense of these hard verses, particularly about hating one's family? I think it's fair to say that Jesus is, at least to a degree, using hyperbole. We know from other examples of his teaching that he calls us to love and provide for our families. We know from the Ten Commandments that we are commanded to honor our father and mother. What Jesus means here surely is this. The love that the true disciple, the true follower, the true learner with Jesus, the love that he has for Jesus must be so great that the very best of earthly loves is by comparison hatred. So let me... I'll give you an example. If I were to try and describe to you just how hot is the sun, maybe I would say that a, a cup of boiling water is like a block of ice compared to the heat of the sun. 
Now, hopefully, no one would go away thinking that I thought that boiling water was actually cold. But so, too, with Jesus saying that so great should our love for God be, that in comparison to maybe the highest forms of love we can think of, the love that happens in families should be as if it were hatred. And we know how deep the love of a husband and a wife can be, should be, or the love of a parent for a child, just as we know how incredibly hot boiling water is. But how much more should the disciple of Jesus love him? And the context of all of this also helps us to understand what Jesus meant. He's just told the parable of the banquet in which he likens the kingdom of God to a dinner party given by God to which all the invited guests, all the people in church, made excuses as to why they couldn't come. One had got some new land, another some new oxen, another had just got married. And in response to these rejections, the host in the story instructs his servants to go out into the highways and byways and invite any who were willing to come in, particularly the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, etc. But the point Jesus now makes so powerfully is that becoming an actual follower of him is not a free lunch. It's not just a banquet and a party. It will be very costly. I think it can sometimes be too easy for us rightly to stress God's love and grace. May we always do that, always, while wrongly being presumptuous about that grace and love. So to the large crowds that were kind of hanging on, Jesus wants them to understand that following him is not a spare time activity that you can tack on to everything else you do. No, following Jesus involves a radically altered life, one that's not driven by money or success or pursuing whatever particular thing you are determined to have in your life. But first and foremost, by a life of obedience and commitment to God, as exemplified by Jesus himself. Surely Jesus used the strong words of hating family, carrying a cross, which meant you're going to be killed, and giving up possessions, which none of us really want to do, to draw attention to the seriousness of his challenge to all would-be disciples. So I wonder, what are your true priorities? Who or what actually comes first in your life. Not by what you say, but how you live and what you do. The bottom line is that Christ's claim on our lives is to take precedence over everything and everyone else. When Jesus spoke of total commitment, he knew the meaning of that. Indeed, when we stop and think about Jesus' call to serve God above family and possessions and even life itself, we soon realize that's exactly what he did in his own life. And if our families come between us and following Jesus, it won't likely be in the everyday feeding and clothing of our children. 
but it could be through standing on the truths of Scripture and not capitulating to the lies that our society loves to believe. And I know there are people here for whom this is already true. The discipleship and committed love that Jesus calls us to will almost inevitably put us in conflict with the standards that our society so often upholds. True discipleship, to which we are all invited, involves commitment and cost. And in the last verse of that gospel reading, Jesus said, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Now again, maybe Jesus is deliberately overstating something to really drive home his point. After all, there were people who had homes and possessions among his closest friends. We know that. And yet, to be his disciple requires 100% commitment. And that kind of commitment affects everything. We cannot merely interpret this hard teaching in spiritual terms. Following Jesus affects what we do with our time, with our money, with our relationships, with our studies, and in our work. We may claim that material things are no big deal for us, and that our clothes or houses or cars or even families and loved ones have no hold over us. But if you have to choose between being faithful to God or losing your children, which will you do? We may think that we have right attitudes, but until they're tested, we could be deluding ourselves. It's a bit like an alcoholic who denies uh, he's got a dependency on drink. He may claim that drink means nothing, and he, he just drinks socially. He likes to drink. It's not a big deal. But the moment you ask him to give it up is the moment that he finds he cannot. The call to follow Jesus is a call to hold lightly to the things of this world, even the things and even the people that may be so very precious to us. Jesus calls us to give up any love for things or for people that compete with our love for God. And there's an irony here, honestly, because when we truly love God, that so often enables us to love others so much better. And as our reading from the Old Testament Deuteronomy spelled out for us, obeying and loving God is the way that leads to life, even though it can be costly. Following Jesus can and often does bring joy and blessing, meaning and purpose. And the paradox of Jesus' teaching is that we receive by giving. We gain through loss. Indeed, Jesus promised that whoever loses his life for his sake will find it. Because following Jesus is so demanding... He calls us to count the cost. There's never a bait and switch. That's the point of this morning's parable, which includes the story of the builder's construction project and the king's war plans. I wonder whether God may want our current and very challenging counting the cost exercise with our building project 
to be an object lesson. To be an object lesson for us on counting the cost of following Jesus. What might it cost us to welcome our neighbors and reach the nations with the love of God? I mean, at the end of the day, that's what this whole project's about, right? What might it cost us to finish this project? What will it cost you unashamedly to follow Jesus this week at home, at school, at work? The warnings that Jesus presents are not designed to scare people off. Far from it. Jesus clearly encourages a certain amount of risk-taking for those who will follow him. But what is called for is not some half-hearted commitment to God. The gospel of Jesus is good news. It is about forgiveness. It is about wholeness. It is about life lived to the full. And it is also about costly discipleship. We should never soft-pedal what is expected of those who would turn to Christ out of fear of scaring anyone away. Indeed, if we do so, we may end up implying that what we're talking about isn't actually very important. But it's absolutely important. And I suspect that there are probably those in our own church today, maybe some here this morning, maybe some who are watching online, who, who might be a bit like the crowds following Jesus. The crowds, we're told, were following him. They, they traveled with him. But it seems they wanted to keep a safe distance, not get too close, not get too involved. And so to the crowds, Jesus issued this stark challenge to put him above all other interests, all other concerns, all other people. You know, I am deeply, deeply saddened over the past two and a half years of social, political, and economic turmoil we have lost people at Ascension. A handful left because they believed I was too conservative in my preaching. A handful left because they believed I was too liberal. And more than a handful have simply slipped away. And if I have unnecessarily caused offense, if I have been a stumbling block, then I am truly sorry. And I ask God to be merciful to me and forgive me. But if some have drifted away because the cost of following Jesus is too high, maybe at school, maybe at work, maybe in the academy, maybe at home, then I pray that God would have mercy on them. I pray that they would turn back to him. The call set before us today, this call to total commitment to him, echoes the call God gave to his people of old through Moses that we heard in our Old Testament reading. God warns his people, if your heart turns away and you do not hear but are led astray to bow down to other gods, and that could be anything that we've been talking about that comes between you and God, to serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. The time 
to respond to God's call is now. The person concerned is you. The demand is everything. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Well, I know that's been a bit of a heavy sermon, but I make no apologies. I'd like us to take a moment right now simply to reflect silently on God's word to us through our scriptures. So let's just be still. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you gave up heaven to come to us to save us. You endured unimaginable suffering and shame and rejection out of your great love for us. Help us today to count the cost of following you. Help us to let go of everything that is keeping us from following you, that we may follow you with our whole heart and soul and mind. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us to convict us, comfort us, and equip us to follow Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.